was fortunate enough that I could go to this place where there are no people and you see nature the way it has been for who knows centuries, right? So with very little human impact. And that changed my life. That changed absolutely my life. And I came back to the city with the ideas like, forget about lab work. I am going to be a field biologist. Welcome to Pelicanus. I'm your host, Austin Parker. Pelicanus highlights the people and organizations that are making it their purpose to grow the conservation field, to make right the wrongs of our past, and to show how people have and still are making a monumental difference in our world. And we want to tell their stories. So we're here to show that not only is there something that can be done, it is being done by dedicated scientists who have made conservation their life, and that we can find optimism through science. This episode is about the Amazon, specifically the Peruvian Amazon. So we talked to three different groups of Peruvians that either live or work in the Amazon, specifically the Madre de Dios area. Our first subject is Dr. Ursula Valdez, originally from Peru, now a professor and biologist with the University of Washington. But first, a quick disclaimer. We recorded this episode outside in the Amazon forest, so you're going to hear some noises in the background, some people, some birds, some just general activity. So my name is Ursula Valdez, and I'm a Peruvian ecologist, and I've been working in, in the topics about the tropical rainforest for maybe the past 32 years, actually, since I was 22. So I'm originally from Peru, um, um, I've gotten my education in Peru, some of that, and then I moved to the U.S. to get my higher education. I ended up in Washington State for my doctorate studies, and I stayed there because I ended up finding a job and finding a husband. <laughs> and so anyway, um, you know, kind of education-wise took me over there, which I really like in there. But at the same time, I have always um, have this strong connection with the Amazon rainforest since I was my very first experience doing field work. I was an undergrad when I had the chance to be a field assistant uh, for a biologist who was going to Manu National Park, which is kind of like a, the ultimate place in probably in the tropics. And there are some other good ones, but Manu National Park is remote. And it's in the middle of the pristine rainforest with very little access. In, but um, that changed my life. So I, I always wanted to be a biologist, but I was more into molecular biology and thinking like, okay, how to apply to you know medicine or something. But that experience changed my life. And I think I was fortunate enough that I could go to this place where... There are no people, and you see nature the way it has been for who knows centuries, right? So with very little human impact. And that changed my life. That changed absolutely my life. And I came back to the city with the ideas like, forget about lab work. I am going to be a field biologist. Parallel to my career as a, you know, kind of a researcher or educator, I found a way to kind of come back and work in the rainforest, work in my own country, which is very important, and I feel fortunate that I can also work in Peru. 
even that I work in other parts of the tropics, but it was in Panama where I discovered this connection with humans. And, uh, and then I figure out that is, you know, why don't we work with people? Why don't we work with those people who actually are the ones who need, who, they need to kind of cover certain needs in order to understand and also maybe actually in order to kind of elevate their quality of life that it gives them an opportunity because we always, you know, I, I grew up in somehow privileged environment, even for my own country, and I always have, I was on the other side, right? And then we always see how rainforests disappear and how animals are disappearing from the perspective of the one who has no needs. But we don't see the perspective that the ones who do. So I decided that Besides doing research, which I love doing research and monitor populations and looking at raptors, which is my thing, it's like, how do you integrate that into it? How do we do something in which we can partner with some local people, develop our research interests that it was actually associated to what's going on with the bird populations associated to these changes in environment, changes in habitat quality, and then how we provide the students the opportunity to be trained and then maybe look at the future. And a model of a kind of a center that it will focus more on the how we accomplish all of this with a kind of a low budget, low impact, and kind of trying to see that it's possible to do this from the perspective of somebody who lives here. And we've walked very slow pace, but that's what I dedicated to. It's kind of like a life project that, you know, I have a life in academic world, but then I also wanted to have a, find a way that with my work, I could also come back here and work with people in here. This is obviously a complex issue. So how can we preserve the biodiversity of the Amazon while still allowing for socioeconomic growth for the people of the area? The key is making sure everyone is involved. How can we make it work for you and for these birds? And it's not as simple, of course. <laughs> so you can say, oh, yeah, that's, this is the solution. It, says, it takes a while. It takes a, um, first, you need to get the trust of people because they, you're not from there. And then you have to train people, provide them equal opportunities so then they can come to a position like we are, that we can actually analyze problems, that we can think because we have had education, when we get to this level, it's because we have had every single opportunity that they didn't. So who gave us the right to go and tell them anything when they haven't had any opportunity like we did? So what we need to do is like, okay, equal opportunity. Let's provide opportunities for them to learn, to understand. But before that, let's hear what are the needs that they have. And that was kind of the, the, the approach that I have when I was working in, in Panama. And, and that actually made me much more sensitive and sensible to, like, how, what are the expectations that you have of people, how you judge. And, you know, it's always, we've come from this mentality that it's always us and them, right? And yeah, we tribalism. never, exactly, yeah. and in, we never put this together in which it's like, well, oh, we are just, we are just in the same plane. We're just seeing it from different sides of the plane. And so that's what I think is just so important to first provide the opportunities 
so then the people, regardless of where they are, they have the opportunity to get more education. And with education, it's going to come more possibilities to make decisions that are going to be better for you. I mean, if not, see what's happening in the world, right? It's like, and education doesn't necessarily mean to go to school. When, if you will get early on in your life the importance of, if it's a rainforest, if it's a tropical, if it's, you know, a mangrove, if it is an old growth forest in the Pacific Northwest, and anything, and look at how critical those ecosystems are for your life, if it's for water, for air, for whatever it is. Early on, when you were like, you know, when you learn that washing your hands before you eat is so critical, and at that level of its survival, then that would be a completely different story. So, and I mean, I'm probably talking about the cliche in a way that, you know, when you teach kids is the best. And the thing is, because it's true. I mean, we form and we shape our personalities, our values, and all of that when we're younger. That kind of like connection is this in your formative years. So that's something very important too. So then we have to look at all this. And of course, you know, we can not, you don't need one person to do this. You have to kind of work with like educators, like people like you, teachers here in, 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 in the schools. And, and I learn a lot from the students here. I learn, you know, things. I mean, look at Aldo. My, I mean, he's so good at like looking at birds and, you know, identifying something. So it's just that in, and so suddenly all of this gets solved together and it's just that you notice that you're working together. Ursula mentions someone named Aldo. Aldo is a local from the Madre de Dios area. He's an excellent naturalist and was able to spot and ID any bird species, which is very difficult to do given how many species there are. So Aldo doesn't speak much English, so here Ursula is going to assist and translate for us. Mi nombre es Aldo Quispe Rivas. Este soy aquí de Puerto Maldonado. So Aldo is from Madre de Dios. He was born here. His parents came from Cusco, and he has finished the degree for ecotourism guide at the Universidad Nacional Amazonica de Madre de Dios, UNAMAD. We wanted to know why Aldo gravitated towards the forest in the first place and what keeps him there. So one of the things that he likes is that even that he has a lot of field trips and he has a lot of opportunities to be in there, in the forest, but every time he leaves the forest, he feels that he's learned something new. And that's pretty important for him. Mm-hmm. Being a great naturalist isn't quite enough for Aldo. He's got bigger plans, bigger goals. One of the kind of the goals of everybody is to be, you know, independent, economically independent. And one of the things that he thinks is that he would like to use, like birds or you know, the knowledge that he has to start a kind of its own initiative, like maybe something like an ecology something that he can join another friend or probably alguien de tu carrera, ¿no? Sí. A friend who's um, studying the same thing. 
and then maybe join together in an effort to come up with a lodge in which people can learn about birds and also do some adventure, things like, you know, kayaking or something in the river. So he's thinking about maybe trying to find a concession, landing concession, that it could be put to, to that. Mm-hmm. What do ecotourism sites provide for the people involved, both the tourists and the locals? La Nancy, este, lo que Madre de Dios, fuera de Cusco, So, uh, just, you know, usually the people who ended up coming here is people that that already have an interest for nature. So he thinks that they're already, you know, nature lovers. But definitely, um, for sure, nature around is Madre Dios has so much to offer, and birds and forests. Um, Things like um, the revenue that, for example, the park in Tampa, Tambapata provides it's one of the highest because there's a lot of people who visit that place and then things like you know giant river otters everybody comes to see them in terms of the ecological issues in the Madre de Dios we asked Aldo what he thought was the most important when it comes to um, the, the surf, the, the protected area, pretty much agriculture and gold mining that are in the border, so they're affecting that. And gold mining is what is kind of, kind of penetrating more. There's more incursion into those surfs. With the local community of the Madre de Dios trying to protect the Tambopata Reserve from encroaching threats, Aldo then told us what is so important about this area and the biodiversity that it holds. So one of the things is that besides the nature around us, we have to think about the services that the forest has. Like, because we have air, we have water, the boscos, boscos, the forest retains, retains the water. And it's, a, you know, the lungs of the, of the world, the pulmón del mundo. But also because we, we need them to survive. So it's just so important to maintain the forest. So that was Aldo, but now we're going to transition to the owners and operators of the Hacienda Herrera, where CICOT is operated. CICOT stands for the Centro de Educación, Ciencia y Conservación Tambopata, or the Tambopata Center for Education, Science, and Conservation. So they are Ruth Caner Torres Turpo and Kenny Javier Herrera Zegara. So I'm going to give another disclaimer here. They have a three-year-old son named Tiago who is lively and wanted to be involved in the interview. So you may hear him in the background. Good morning. My name is Ruth. I am 30 years old. I study ecotourism. Now I have one son. And I love my, my work in family. It's a new project of ecotourism and I love to to work to Secot, to education programs, to beer banding station, to the monitoring of the mammals in a trail. I saw 
interesting to, to know more about the forest uh, of the, our area mm -hmm. and to, to know more people uh, learning every day. Okay, my name is Kenny. I am 32 years old. Um, I am the guy for the adventure activities here also. I love the bird. I, um, I have one beautiful son, Tiago. All the time is I helping to Tiago and teaching to conserve, to protect the environment. Yeah, because this area here is for Tiago in the future. Um, I'm really happy to protect this area and, and I'm, I'm helping to the other people for, for different places to come here and visit this place, no? to, know, to know about many things that we have here, very important things. No? Ruth tells us her story about how she got involved with the ecology of the Madre de Dios area. Uh, we are students of the, and the university, and we saw fun. Um, we're watching around the, the road near to the city, and we know <coughs> we we can see the other classmates going to the to the group of people foreigners foreigners and I. We follow. We follow the, the, our classmates, and we can know more about the code. We can know Ursula and all the program and the, the people, local people, working in a garden. And I, we, we were so happy to to learn. And telling the, the group of Secot in this moment and I can for my first time I can work in a beer bonding station Ursula then jumps in here to talk about how great Ruth is and how important she is for Secot and then for the community of the Madre de Dios I think that it was really important from Ruth's participation is that not only, you know, they were interested in learning, but she started taking into a role of, like, leader for the other volunteers. So pretty pretty quick after she was um, coming to, say, you know, any other student, she took a leadership. And uh, and she suddenly, and not suddenly, actually, within a few <coughs> months and just within the next year, she became the volunteer co coordinator, the local person, that I could start, you know, start connecting with, and she start helping me and coordinating things. So it was because in the past it was like we'd rely either if I would come back, or then it would be another student who will volunteer and come for a few months. But then once she came into the group, she took this leadership and she's organized and responsible. And as what she mentioned, she also got a job with a company, with a big company, and she start applying what she learned with us into the company and that they like that and and of course other skills that she has is pretty well she's a great manager 
So she's kind of growing into it, and now, you know, she became our kind of local coordinator here. So she's the Peru coordinator for all these things. And honestly, a lot of things work, especially the the, the day-to-day things work here because of her. And of course, you know, Kenny also helps. But definitely Ruth has taken this, this leadership and she, her energy and just... She said she does things, right? When she has a plan and, and I can totally rely on her and then... So that was a pretty critical. Ruth shared her goals for the hacienda, but also for the conservation of the area and the community. Our plans is not only for for us, it's for the family, for my region, Madre de Dios, because I I can I want to tell to local people that we can. We can protect our area, we can work near to the family, mm-hmm. we can protect the many species, we can work better. And we, it's not only mining activity here, and that's, that's my principal Mm-hmm. in this area, in this community. Mm-hmm. I not only think uh, about my, my plans to the ecotourism here, I think uh, which need, uh, what need the community to grow more. Mm-hmm. To, we have neighbors with cacao plantation, we have neighbors to growing agroforestry, Maybe they need some activities of, of ecotourism or mm-hmm. any, anything. Mm-hmm. And I can do a, a good job with, with, in a community. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a good, the best example to other communities to, to make um, sustainable activities. So she thinks that um, the, the, the main thing is to organize the activity and to regulate somehow the control of them, of, you know, how, do you, how close you get or not. But very importantly is that the tourist companies should know more about the species, should know more about how to protect habitats. Uh, some behaviors or something, things that we learn that are very important and that's why you protect the species or at least respect the space, right? So if there would be somehow some sort of organization, right now the place is open to anybody, with no policy, with no protocol of what to do, but if there would be more of this, maybe kind of an agreement between companies or some sort of a, you know, regulation, then it would be a much more... Um, responsible activity, both for the environment and for the, also like the social impact that they may have. Ruth talks about how the community is changing and how they're recruiting people to get involved. It's better if you make an example. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and not only talk, talk, uh, 
you can do things or no. Yeah. The people uh, now needs to pay the education for the kids. Uh, needs to pay anything, and not only needs to a uh, romantic activities. Mm-hmm. They need uh, uh, sustainable activities with the work that the people can uh, love to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, I think mm, my work that we can do many activities sustainable for ecotourism for example to make gardens we don't buy tomatoes from Cusco we can grow tomatoes here mm-hmm. and we have a lot of companies for ecotourism we can sell to the <laughs> companies and we need to work together we need more projects uh, people how are you uh, teaching how to make uh, sustainable activities, how to use the all the forest, <laughs> or to how to give valor, value, value. value. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen many people responding and learning from your example yet? Yes, in this community, the Bajo Madre de Dios, uh, the people is is making uh, new projects. The Benigno. Mm-hmm. So, neighbor? Uh, yes. Is that Estela's husband? Estela's husband. Mm-hmm. He, he has a cacao plantation. He's part of the uh, big cooperativa. Co-op. Yeah. Co-op. Okay. Yes. There's some, some other non-profits who are also working with some local uh, people kind of trying to improve their crops and Kind of getting moving into more of the agroforestry tour, towards the agroforestry program, program rather than just doing a kind of a monoculture, and that's something that is being promoted here. Uh, there is still a little bit about some, you know, some people are promoting crops like things like papaya, or even cacao that they grow and then take the forest, and then just do a monoculture, and then they need to use a lot of pesticides mm-hmm. and fertilizers and all that which is becoming another problem. That was part of the potential solution, but now it's becoming a really bigger problem. But with this nonprofits and also kind of, you know, passing the word to other mm-hmm. other neighbors that they can see how, I mean, there is cacao here, but if you, you have seen it, it's mixed with forests and part of the project of assessing wildlife here is to try to see how other species are using those cacao mixed plantations mm-hmm. Rather than maybe you know, kind of unify or making this mono like cultures, but uh, mainly kind of I, I, I don't remember the word, but it's unif instead of being heterogeneous <coughs> habitats, they're like so uniform, which it it's not going to promote diversity. So it's really great yeah. that we actually have this bird monitoring program and the mammal monitoring program, and you guys have seen the pictures of what we find in... For example, we talked uh, with the neighbors mm-hmm. about the jaguars, mm-hmm. the, the dog short... Oh, yeah, we had a short-eared dog, short-eared dog, which is a very rare species. She's been talking with the neighbors about like what we do here. And they see that there's, you know, groups coming, children coming, 
uh, other groups of tourists, and she told them that, you know, well, we do this kind of things, and, you know, we are monitoring wildlife so then we can show to our visitors. Um, the other thing is that she also has told them, well, so if they want to a place that they can attract people, they have to show some animals or some nice forest that is in good shape. That's what is going to attract people. So they are getting enthusiastic and excited about the possibility to partner. And that's what uh, Ruth was commenting about, how she wants to expand this as a community effort. This area of the, even though we're so close to Puerto Maldonado, behind this property is there's a large amount of forest that it's in really good, and it's not owned by many people. There's palm swamp, and actually we border the reserve, right? Yes. We border the Tambopato Reserve. So the idea is to try to see it, to promote that for conservation, trying to promote that as a, uh, you know, either as a concession or something to get to promote the conservation. And if that can provide some opportunities for just the neighbors, there's not a big community here, right? Mm -hmm. With the community getting more involved with conserving the area and preserving the natural and cultural resources, what can we do and how can we get involved with these efforts? Okay, here we have a lot of experience to share with a lot of people they can visit this place. No? I am from here, I live in here for 32 years old. I am really from here, my dad, my mom, they are really from this region, Madre de Dios. No? For this reason, I know about the nature, about the, this place, the jungle, no? We have a lot of history to, to tell, to say, to come, uh, for the people that they come here and visit, no? But it's, my life is here for this, um, this reason I know, because I am really from here. I invite a lot of people, they want to come here and visit, and then um, to, to share this experience, to talk with me. Thank you. I invited to, to people to come, to know our family, our area, and have a... What do you say? A good experience. Mm -hmm. Not only good; it's a authentic experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with the, the the things to to happen in, in a jungle. Mm -hmm. To talk with me, with Kenny, about the and then birds, nature, adventure activities, to the river, to the clay leaks, and. The, and all activities in our region. I'd like to thank Ruth, Kenny, Tiago, Aldo, and especially Ursula for helping coordinate this and translating for us. Additional producer on this episode is Chris Corpus. If you'd like to find more information on CCOT, and how to visit and what to do while you're there, go to ccot.org, C-E-C-C-O-T.org.